Thank you, Dave. The, uh, I took one semester of Spanish when I was in high school, and our teacher was from Oklahoma. And the only thing I remember is, no necesito hablar, which I think is don't talk with an Oklahoma accent. But uh, I, I wrote uh, little David uh, Baldwin uh, an email this past week, and I thanked him for reading us to us in Serbian last week. It was a huge blessing to hear that young man read in Serbian and then to hear it in Spanish today. God's word going out to the nations, and uh, let, let us be glad. So we, we rejoice in that. Also, I wanted to say, um, so glad to have Betty May here in the back. I know I haven't known her as long as many of you, but it is great to have her here and uh, great to have her worshiping with us today. Did we have a video or something we were supposed to watch before I was preaching? Okay. Um, why don't you turn with me to Third John? And as you're turning there, I wanted to just remind us of a few things. Pastor Mark started off the mission series this past week by sharing the passion for missions. We know that Pastor Mark is in Serbia even now. And, um, and he said, what is the passion of missions? And he taught, and he gave examples, and he pushed us to say, hey, the passion of missions is sharing the gospel. And he gave us the phrase, reminded us of a phrase that others have said, that worship of Christ is the goal of missions. We want that to be locally, nationally, and internationally. But I think a fair question for us to ask is, well, what does that look like in our church? What does that look like for us individually? What does it look like for us as a family? Um, what framework should we have? What things do we necessarily have to say no to? What things should we say yes to? What things should we prioritize? A few examples, because every one of us has decisions to, that, that need to be made. So you have your brother-in-law is going to Ecuador on a missions trip and wonders if you'll go with him. He's a little vague on the details, but he promises you that this trip is not just for fun. Do you go? Do you not go? He says, and if you can't go, you could at least help me pay for it. What do you do? A local pastor in the Caribbean has found your name on Facebook and repeatedly asks for help, offering to house you if you come for a visit. Do you go? Do you not go? What is helpful? A young person in your church, or maybe even in your own family, is interested in missions. But they're hit and miss at church, and they're hit and miss in helping out the boring parts of family life. Do you help them? Do you not help them? Your church supports missionaries, but maybe you really don't know them. You want to help, but you don't know what you can do thousands of miles away. So in our text today, we're going to be seeing a lot more of the kind of the nuts and bolts. What does it look like to send and support laborers well. And one of the things I can say from the get-go, most of us in this church have been part of other churches at other times in our lives. And most of us have seen some things done well. And most of us have seen some things done not well. And one of the real joys for our family in coming to this church three and a half years ago was the care and seeing the care that our church body gives to our missionaries. And there's always things to improve on and new ideas to be had, absolutely. But it was a fun, especially if you come on Wednesday nights, you see missionary videos and specific prayer. You see so much information, ways to feel close with people. And I remember the first time I met one of our missionaries, I went up to him and I started talking to him because I, I felt like I knew them and knew them pretty well. But I, I didn't introduce myself. And they, they figured it out eventually who, who I was. But I feel like I knew them well because our church 
cares for them well. So here in 3 John the Apostle, John deals with some, some bad missionaries. They're truly false teachers. And he deals with, with good and faithful missionaries in 2nd and 3rd John. We're not going to cover anything in 2nd John today, just 3rd John. But John gives us some parameters, some ideas, some whys, some details about missions. And he gives us this idea that we send and support missionaries so that worship exists everywhere. And that's really the, the thesis of our message today. We send and support. And our goal is to send and support well. But we send and support missionaries so that, mission, so that worship exists everywhere. And really, there's four main points. Missionary support requires love and truth. Missionary support requires effort. Missionary support should be abundant. And missionary support is motivated by love for the glory of Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you're there in 3 John, let's, let's relook at these first four verses. And that says to the elder, to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Missionary, missionary support requires love and truth. Well, who's this elder? Well, this is the Apostle John. He's one of the sons of thunder or the sons of Zebedee. We know that he and his brother James were go-getters and were in the inner circle with Jesus. Um, at this time, John, the Apostle John, is probably living in Ephesus, part of the local church there, and he's writing a letter to Gaius. There's three or four different Gaiuses in Scripture, um, Acts, I think, 19 and 20. I think there's one in Romans as well, probably all different people, a fairly common name. But Gaius is a leader of probably a smaller church at some distance. And then as we, we go through the letter, we'll see, hey, there's, there's some other church leaders as well. There's probably a third church that's involved. It might be part of Gaius's church, but probably there's a third church involved and potentially even a fourth as well that um, the Apostle John is giving direction to. And the letter is, is a communication and encouragement to Gaius and a warning not to be like one of these other church leaders, Diotrephes. And one of the things you'll notice when you read this letter is there these, these some terms that are said over and over and over. And one of the terms that we're seeing over and over is, is beloved or love. And then this term, this term of truth. We see those over and over and over. And um, you'll notice that as we go there. He says, we love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you. He's talking about beloved there. And then we see the love and love and love repeatedly in this section. And what it's really saying here is, we don't just say, yeah, I know this guy. Or yeah, there's some people up on a board somewhere and I care for them somewhat. Or I hear some needs from one of our missionaries, but hey, Serbia? How am I supposed to help out Serbia? What can I do? Saying that that is not even an option here. Whether you are a, a supporter of a missionary that they're coming from your local church, or maybe you're a, a secondary supporter, or maybe it's just a missionary that comes through your church, love and truth are required and expected over and over and over. And truly, we know that when, when we look through Scripture, we see that love is one of the serious basics of the Christian life. I can love other people because Christ has shown me love. I can love the Father because he set his love upon me. When outsiders see Christians, they should know who you are following because they see your love for one another from John 13. Truly a base idea and, and uh, expectation 
of Christianity. And then truth as well, norm of Christians, not peddling the gospel, not twisting things for our gain. So the question you might be asking is, well, well how does this fit with missions? Well, here's the idea. If, if we do all kinds of good things, let's say you join the missions committee, you do all kinds of good things, our church doubles its giving, we bring on more missionaries, we do all these things. If we do it without love, we're just doing some stuff. If we do it without truth, we're just peddling the gospel. And repeatedly, we're seeing in this passage that God, if I could say it this way, God doesn't need my money. God doesn't need my talents. God doesn't need my time. But God chooses to use those for his glory. Corinthians tells us if we do it without love, it's only a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And we need to have that at the forefront of our mind when we think about sending and supporting missions well. So that's, that's the first point. Missionary support requires love and truth. And missionary support takes effort. Verse 5 says, right at the end of 4, it says, you know, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And we love that picture that John says of, here is someone who is following after me that I have guided. First John has that idea over and over and over. And then he says, hey, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers, that they are. Well, for most of us, it's a lot easier to care for those that are part of our family or part of those that we know well. We know if we looked across this room, we would say, boy, I love this guy or that woman. What an influence she has on my kids. Or, wow, this person. We have some history together. By God's grace, we have a church that many, many people have gone here for years and years and years, decades and decades for so many. And that is a gift from God. But the care here isn't just those that you know really, really well. The care here isn't just those that you, that you have some history with. John says, Gaius, you did a great job. You welcomed these givers of the gospel that were strangers to you. You didn't even know them, but you showed them love anyway. And we've had some opportunities to do that as a church. We've had people that have come through. I think of the Cordes who came through a few months back, uh, missionaries to Native Americans in Southwest United States. It's fun to meet someone that you've never met before, you've never seen before. They love Jesus Christ, and you can say, I don't know you from Adam, but you love Jesus, and I love Jesus, and how can we help, and how, we, how can we encourage? That is, a, that is a gift. But I think oftentimes in American Christianity, when we're used to being around other Christians, we don't feel that as we should. But we need to be looking for those who are serving Christ and looking how we can have a part with them and putting in effort. And along with prayer and finances, which are, are very typical in good churches all over the world, giving, along with prayer and financial support, what is our responsibility to missionaries? Again, Heritage does very well, but what are some things that we can have a part of here? Well, I have a few things here. One of them that I have is communication. Letters, email, packages, FaceTime, um, when, when we talk with missionaries, we hear often people feeling lonely. And a lot of times early on, they're lonelier than, than over time as the culture becomes more of theirs and theirs and theirs, but especially early on. And I think for most of us, we've had times in our life where we've felt very lonely. And um, I think we should put ourselves in the missionaries' feet, in their shoes, and say, how can I encourage? And I've heard multiple people say, maybe not so much in our local congregation, but in others, hey, how can I help the missionary? How can I go over there? What, what are some things that I could do? A huge thing to do is to communicate. 
absolutely to give financially, absolutely to pray, but even little communications. If you sent a letter, if we think of times in our lives when we felt very alone, a letter is a huge thing and a good thing to do. So communication is good. Pastoral visits and short-term help. In Acts 15, Paul says, hey, we've had a missionary journey. Let's go back in and, and check on the believers. And that's an important thing to do. As pastors, we've read um, a couple books on supporting missionaries. One of them said, hey, we, expect, we think that every pastor, or that at least one pastor should visit every missionary every year. Others have said, hey, that might not always be financially feasible, but what are you doing? Can you interact monthly? And I will tell you that, that I've fallen short on that. I don't, don't always do so, but an area that I would like to improve upon. I think at any time with visiting missionaries, our church does well with the Barnabas Fund, and you know we're, we're sending, and a, a group is leaving from our midst even this next week. That is a glorious thing that a lot of churches that I've been part of have never done. It's when the missionary comes back every four to six years, we meet them again. But I hadn't been part of a church that sent people over to encourage the missionaries unless there was some really outstanding circumstance going on. And I think that's a glorious thing. Now, we need to be careful with that. We've all read things of missionaries saying, hey, so many people were coming that I, I've turned into a travel agent and I can't fulfill the task that I've been given. And I think a big thing for us to remember is, even as a local church, to be thinking, hey, what is helpful to the missionary? We might have one that's very busy, has a lot going on, and maybe doesn't need as much oversight or, 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 have, as, or have the time. And we have others that say, I really need more help. I really need more help. Probably our missionaries fall into that latter category. I think we're doing a good job, and I think there's some, some good things moving towards even in the future. We don't want to force them into being a tour guide unless that is how they get their visa there, and then we do want them to be a tour guide. But I love hearing in a church of people saying, hey, I was FaceTiming with so-and-so missionary, and I was able to encourage this way. Or I was, I was talking with this missionary, and I was able to do this or do that. That is a glorious thing that our church often has, uh, has opportunity. Hospitality is another one. How can we encourage while they're back in the States? How can we encourage with housing, with a vehicle, with a non-exhausting schedule, with freedom to connect with those outside of our church area? All things to think about. Then the fourth one uh, would be more team members. Most missionaries say this would be the biggest encouragement that they could have is to have another team member. And so we want to encourage as part of this missions conference. We don't want it to be one of those missions conferences where we're squeezing people to, to come forward and, and twist you to go to Africa uh, kicking and screaming. But you know what we do want as elders? We want every person in here to be thinking about how can I serve the body of Christ? Would God see fit to use me here in Owensboro or even in another place in the United States or even in another place around the world? Would God see fit to you kids, you teenagers, college, singles, retired? Could God use you in another context? Those are things we would love for all of us to be thinking about and praying about. How can God use me? So those are some things to think about. Um, so missionary support should put in effort. Missionary support should also be abundant. If you could just, well, let, let's read this in verse 6 here. Talk about these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. That would be in Ephesus. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. We can all be thinking, hey, I think I should do this or do that or do this, but in a manner worthy of God is, is pretty strong language there. Turn with me, if you would like, to Colossians, um, or you can just listen um, as I read. 
But I want to read from Colossians chapter 9, and this is Paul, and he's, he's, he's glorying in the gospel early on in Colossians chapter 1. Um, I think we're going to start reading. I'll start reading in verse 9. But earlier on in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is saying, look at the glory of Christ. Look at the glory of finding forgiveness in him. You, you didn't do this in and of yourself, but look at what Christ did. And then he says in verse 9, he says, And so from the day we heard that you're believers, we have not ceased to do, look at all these supportive things here, this abundance here. We've not ceased to pray for you. And we haven't just prayed some, some vague prayer. He's prayed specifically, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. We want you to be able to obey and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to do what? To walk. That's another word, to live. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's representing him. That's exalting him. That's being an example to others with him. That's saying, I want to walk and live as he desires. It says, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then Paul says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's saying, look at the glory of Jesus Christ. This is what we want. And that's what we want in our support. We want it to be abundant. We want it to be worthy of God. And so when we give, we want to give it as unto the Lord not just saying, I'm giving, okay, I'll throw 20 bucks at it, or I'll throw a thousand bucks on it. We want to give it as unto the Lord, saying, Lord, I want my finances. I want my time. I want my heart. I want my letter writing. I want my encouragement. Lord, I want this to be, I'm giving this to you, and it's getting channeled through these missionaries that we are supporting. Um, we want financial support to be generous, and we want to partner with good agencies. Um, when I was the director at the Patino Shelter, one of the we would get in all kinds of stuff, pick up loads of stuff, and um, we would have to go through it. And it was amazing to me. We, we had very generous people. People would give all kinds of new toys and new things, but you would be amazed at the amount of stuff that would come in, broken toys, like piles of broken things, or, you know, like shirts with sleeves torn, halfway torn off, or a shirt with no buttons, um, at Christmas time, we would get in basketballs and footballs that had been sitting out in the sun for a year that were flat, that wouldn't take air anymore, that were, had been out in the sun so long they were faded out on one side. and be like, well, here, this is for the poor kids. And, and um, we just need to think about how we give and what is abundant. You know, there's, there's anecdotal missionary stories of, of people saying, which I did a little research, and I couldn't find if this is, really is true, but there's anecdotal stories of, hey, for the missionaries, save all your used tea bags, and we'll send a, a box of those down the road out to Bora Bora or wherever. And I couldn't really find out if th any of those stories are absolutely true, but we need to be really careful. I've heard it said, not in this church, but I've heard it said before, well, you don't want to give too much because you don't know what they're going to do with it. And I will say this, if, if we can't trust someone with our finances, we shouldn't trust them as our missionary. And we should err on the side of abundance. And I know as I go through our missionary list, I see here are people that if they got extra, what would they do with it? They're not going to squander it. They're going to be gospel people. They're going to be buying scriptures. They're going to be using it to share the gospel. They're going to use it to, to evangelize. So we need to be generous in our financial support. Another thing would be supporting fewer missionaries at a higher level. Another thing that our church does, but there's some principle behind that. I know when I was in college, I went to a missions conference, and I was really praying through what God would have me in life. 
and uh, to do. And I remember having this, a panel of men and women up top, and they were sharing about being a missionary, and they averaged, and this would have been 20, close to 25 years ago, but they averaged 40 supporting churches each. And I remember watching them up there as an 18-year-old saying, how, and so they'd have their, their nine months off, let's say, and they would come back to the United States, and they would spend that entire time driving and driving and driving and driving and trying to encourage churches and racing around and sending a letter to this person, this person, and this person, and how hard that was on them. And um, I'm so thankful at our church, we choose to support fewer missionaries, which we would like to support more, and by God's grace, we will over time, but to support them at a greater level so they don't have that stress on their life and they're supported abundantly and they can, can have more time with us and with other supporting churches when they come back to the States. Partnering with local agencies, not required of a local church, but helpful. Um, they often have expertise in ways and areas that churches do not. If you want to, there's many good supporting agencies, but do some reading on TLI and how they both help the Baldwins and they do some screening and they do some, some verification. Very, very helpful. Part of abundant support. And all those then push us to our last point, that missionary support is motivated by the love for the glory of Christ. If you're back in 3 John, it says in verse 7 and 8, it says these missionaries, that they have been sent out in a manner worthy of God, they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And as, as a quick side note, this, the, the seminary that I went to is supported by Graco a lot. So you might be saying, well, should, should you never take money from the Gentiles the, the, or non-believers? The biggest picture here is another person's message is not to be what is promoted. And so at this time, you would have someone who would say, hey, I'm financing this, and so you have to give my message. You have to give what I want you to give. And, and what John is saying here is they're not giving anyone else's message. They're giving the message of Jesus Christ. So they're accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We need to be gospel sharers. And this is really the why of mission support. Why do we do mission support? We go for the sake of the name. So how many times in this passage have we seen Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit? I think God is in there three times, but it has this idea of the name. Pastor Mark well shared last week that we want to do good and generous things for our communities. We want to help the poor. We want to help the widow. We want to help the orphan. Absolutely. But the best way you can help someone is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And, after, and that doesn't absolve us from helping in all those physical ways as well. But keeping people from the pit of hell is central to what we do. And so when, when, um, when I hear a few of these, I give money to an Indian reservation in South Dakota. I give money to a dental clinic in Cincinnati. I give a check to the pound for wayward cats and dogs. None of those are wrong to do. And you might choose to do some of those things with your money. Some of those are even good things to do. But those aren't gospel things in and of themselves. And so it would be a really healthy thing to say, okay, I give money towards well drilling in, in uh, Northwest Africa. And that group also uses that well drilling to give safe, healthy water so people can drink water, so people can live, so people can be clean, so it improves hygiene, so it improves health and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would support a group that says, hey, we, we work to end 
sex trafficking in Malaysia. Absolutely. And while we are doing that vital work, we are saying, you know who is a forgiver of sins? You know who is the answer? It's Jesus Christ. And so when it says here, we go for the sake of the name, that's what we want our missionaries to do. That's what we want to do. And even in a local church here, that's what we do every single Sunday when we say, where are we with Christ? Kids in our church, teenagers in our church, non-believers in our church, you can find forgiveness in the cross. That's what John is saying here, and that is what we cry out. Whether we're in a church service, whether you're talking to the lady in the cubicle next to you in the office, whether you're talking with your own children on the way home from church, whether you're sharing downtown with someone, you're involved with foster care, whether we're dealing with missionaries, we're doing it for the sake of the name. And since they serve for the sake of the name, they should be helped abundantly. It says we ought to support people like these. What kind of people should we be supporting? Well, we can talk about character and fruitfulness and Bible knowledge and international experience. I think in character, we can learn there's some good and bad examples even in this text here. Uh, verse 9 says this, you know, John is saying, hey, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who has terrible character and terrible fruitfulness, he likes to put himself first. He does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Well, we can learn, I tell my kids this, and I believe it myself, we can learn from good and bad examples, both in Scripture and both in people that we interact with in life. And one of the reasons John wrote this letter is, hey, you need to not be like this guy Diotrephes. Instead of furthering the kingdom, he's hindering the kingdom. And he's doing it because he likes to put himself first. Maybe he wants his own way of doing things. Maybe he wants only his own missionaries. Maybe he wants only people that he has vetted. We really don't know, but his, his, his reasons for doing it are bad. He won't respect authority. And John says, have nothing to do with him. I might have to come out there. And then John says in verse 11, Beloved, Gaius, don't imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So here is Diotrephes, who is probably some type of church leader, probably in a third church. And he's saying he has not seen God. He is not of the faith. He says, conversely, there's another guy, Demetrius. He might be a pastor of a fourth church. We really don't know. But he says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and know that our testimony is true. He says, we need people in the mission field. We need people supporting missionaries who are people of love and truth who have character, also have fruitfulness. And I think as we even look and talk with missionaries, we don't require them to fit with the qualifications of an elder uh, necessarily, but that is definitely a thing that we look at and certainly is something we look at if they are going to be doing church planting. Um, Timothy and Titus are good places to start. A big question, how are they serving Christ now as members? Because it's going to be similar in a foreign country. And I think any pastor has had people call them and have said, hey, I, I want to be a missionary. And one of the things I would always ask is, what are you doing in your local church now? And um, I would tell you it's about 50-50. People say either I'm not part of a local church, or I used to be, or I'm just too busy ministering to the body of Christ to be part of a local church. 
And I usually try to push that too. So, okay, so you're traveling around, but you, you have a local church you're part of when you are home. And I will tell you, it's 50-50 people saying yes or no on that. So they're not involved with the local church that Scripture talks over and over. We need the fencing of a local church. We need the leadership of the local church. We need the encouragement. We need the confrontation at times. And uh, many, many, many say, yeah, I don't, I don't really do that, but I'm going to go on the mission field and, and be involved in that sort of thing. Vetting missionaries can, be, can take quite a bit of time. It needs to be thought about. Bible knowledge is another one. The syncretism is the bane of the mission field. Syncretism being a, a mixture of a native religion with Christianity. And so someone takes a native religion and takes some aspects of that and they take aspects of scripture and they say, hey, we kind of mix those two together and to make a third religion is what it really is doing. And it happens and has happened over and over and over. And, and for many of us, we might have had a little bit of synchronistic thinking when we were first hearing the gospel. We might have thought, well, I can live this way, or I think God is this. We were there prior to coming to Christ, right? You might have had thoughts of this on God. And so someone shares Christ with you, and you think, oh, okay, I think I can kind of mush those two together. And, and, and many people think for a short time, as, until, as the Scripture and the Holy Spirit refines them and guides them, as they hear preaching and teaching, as they read. But on the mission field, that just happens all the time, it is, a, is a real bane of the mission field. So sending novice workers isn't usually helpful. We need to send mature, and I'm going to say maturing. None of us have never have ever arrived, but maturing, sober-minded believers, and help them get additional specific training. We have some missionaries that are young. We have some missionaries that have some age on them. But all of them, we've sought to give training and to see the wisdom and the desire to follow God. International experience is another one. Like to travel, experience other cultures. Do you talk to internationals now? I want nothing to do with this culture, but I guess I'm going to go there and serve. That does not work. But I'll tell you, I've been on the phone with people that have said versions of that before. We need to have people that have a love for the people they're there to serve. Last one is having a plan or getting one. I think the Baldwin's video last week was very helpful when they said, we talk to missionaries. We talk to people that are thinking of coming here or other places and they don't have a plan. They just feel like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna land in this country and we'll kind of see what happens, see where I go. This isn't to, to take the place of the Holy Spirit, but um, Paul would say, hey, I'm going in this direction. And at times the Holy Spirit stopped and hindered them and, and sent him somewhere else. Praise the Lord for that. But he had a plan. He was going to different places, and he had a plan. And um, that's very, very important. I have, talked with, um, I have talked with a person that wanted to be a missionary veterinarian. They were going to travel the mission field and keep people's dogs and cats healthy all around the world. Uh, I have talked to a guy who wanted to be a missionary game guy at camp, so he was going to go to a place and try to be a game guy. And when I pushed, and you're going to share the gospel too, he's like, eh, it's not really a strength, but I'm super good at games, so I'll be the game guy. So you're going to go as a team? Uh, that was kind of vague. Um, I've, I've uh, talked with someone who wanted to be a traveling missionary kids music teacher, which again is a, a great thing, but how much gospel was going to be shared, it was pretty vague. And I will say this, there is a place for parachurch ministries 
And, you know, in a church this size, you might individually as a family be supporting this or that, or you might have things in your history of this or that. But here's what we need to think through as a church. What does Scripture really, really push with missions? It pushes local church, local church planting, training those that are doing the same. And so that is where our church dollars are going to primarily focus. Now, is there a place for parachurch ministries? There, there is. And we're thankful for those that, that exist doing other things or even support staff. But they are sharing the gospel and they too are pushing people to the local church. If we had a missionary that just said, hey, I'm going to do some parachurch stuff and if you go to church, fine, do whatever you want, we would have no part of that. But Mason, Leaf, others, they share the gospel and they push people and point people to local churches. And what's the reward of all of this? Well, we read it already, but let's read it again. What is the reward of all of this? That we may be fellow workers for the truth. We would love to see God raise up missionaries out of this group here. We would love to see God raise up people who are doing missions locally here in Owensboro. We would love to see God begin to work on a retired couple, on a family, on a single person, teenager, college students, heart for missions. But for those who are not called or maybe not yet called to the mission field, we want to be gospel people sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. But if you're not a goer, every single believer who is not a goer is a sender. And what part are you having being a sender? And that's not a second-class citizen. It's a fellow worker with Christ. So you need to read that this way. If you're a believer and you're a sender and you're encouraging, you may be a fellow worker with the Apps. You may be a fellow worker with the Amadis, with the Dames, with the Baldwins, with Malikas, with others. You are a fellow worker. I wanted to close before Keith comes up here. I wanted to close and I was going to tell some details of the story of David Brainerd, a famous young missionary. I won't go into a ton of detail, but just a little bit of information. David Brainerd was dead before he was 30. He never hit his 30th birthday. He didn't have a life that was particularly easy. He was born into a somewhat wealthy family, came to Christ, I think it may be age 24. And um, a law was passed that you couldn't be a pastor in New England if you didn't go to one of three schools and one of which he was expelled from as a young, younger man. And he was brokenhearted and said, I can't be used of God because I want to be a pastor, but I'm not, I can't legally be one. He's a young believer at the time, mostly non-believing family. So he goes and starts sharing the gospel to uh, Native American populations in the Northeast. Um, he hates the outdoors. He loves the God of creation, but he's not an outdoorsman. And he over and over in his writings says, talks about the howling wilderness or the bleak wilderness, or I had to go out in the howling wilderness. And he had tuberculosis and was dying. And so virtually the whole time he's sharing the gospel, he's going around and he's saying, okay, I'm going to go share with this village today. And he, he would say, I'm riding my horse the whole way there. I couldn't eat anything. And the only thing that came out of me all day was blood. And it's coming out everywhere. And he would get there and they'd stick him under a tree and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes they would, he said, I would go, I, he would lay in the dirt and some native population would, would build a little hut for him to stay in while he would share Christ with them. And he 
did that and did that and did that till he died. But there was a family, um, there was a family that cared for him. And um, you might say, well, what did they get out of it? Well, he, he, was, he was going to be married to their daughter, but even prior to any of that coming about, what did they get? This is before the daughter even liked David Brainerd. This family reached out to him and they showed him love and they gave him truth and they put effort into him. And then when he was dying and on his deathbed, he came and lived in their house for a while. This is Jonathan Edwards' family. And, and they put effort into him and they gave him abundant care. He's dying in their house. And if you read his dying words that Jonathan Edwards wrote, he says things like this. The pain for David Brainerd was so great, he said, because he was suffocating and he's throwing up blood for days and days and weeks and weeks. And he said to Jonathan Edwards, if this goes on for one more minute, I can't take it. And this is before painkillers. And he couldn't eat or drink anything because he would choke on it. He said, if it, if it goes one more minute, I can't take it. And I hear that with him and I think, 29 years old, why, 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 why did he do it? Why did the Edwards family put so much effort in him? Why did they show him so much love? Why was their care so abundant? Why was all that? David Brainerd did it as a goer. The Edwards family did it as a sender because missions and worship did not exist in those Native American populations. Worship did not exist among those people. So he said, we are going to go. And the other family said, we are going to support and we're going to get blood all over our rooms and we could get tuberculosis too because we want the name of God to be great. And that's why we support our missionaries that we have now. And that's why people decide to go. And I've talked with parents that have said, man, I, I'd hate it if my kid lived around the world. I would miss them so much. And, we, and you would, and we would, and I would. But we don't go so we have a comfy life. Since missions does not exist, since worship does not exist, therefore missions does. Forgiveness in Christ alone. Pastor Keith Withrow is going to be leading us in the Lord's table. And I want us to think about when we hold the bread in our hand and we hold the cup in our hand. And I want us to think about people groups all over the world that cannot rightly do this because worship does not exist for them. And I want us to be thinking about what part do we have in making it available to them of seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we often feel weak, as we should, when we contemplate your glory. Heavenly Father, oftentimes we minimize and make small the, the opportunity that we have to be senders. And Lord, we ask from this church that you send people out to actively share the gospel around the world. And Lord, we recognize that every believer in here must and has the beautiful opportunity to share the gospel even now with neighbors and friends and relatives and sending a letter and, and talking to the cubicle next to you and all those things, Lord. But Lord, let us not minimize the joy and opportunity that Jonathan Edwards' family had to support a goer. And Lord, let us not minimize our opportunity to encourage and uphold goers ourselves. 
Lord, we want to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And Lord, thank you that we can do that even now here in Owensboro. See it increasingly happen around the world and have a tangible evidence of that as we celebrate the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen.